Welcome to the Uncovered Podcast, where we take a deeper look into the ideas, companies, and entrepreneurs that are creating the future and uncover the stories you haven't heard. Uncovered is presented by PJC, an early-stage venture capital firm committed to supporting the next generation of entrepreneurs. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Uncovered Podcast. Uh, I'm Rob May, a partner at PJC, and uh, joining us today in the studio are uh, David Martirano and Matt Hayes, also partners here at PJC. And our guest today is um, Amritha, who is the CEO of Kudos. Amritha, welcome to the program. And why don't you tell us a little bit about, to get started, uh, what, what Kudos does? Thank you, Rob. Uh, excited to be here today. Uh, Kudos is a direct-to-consumer brand making an all-natural diaper that is very high-performing. Um, there are there are obviously a number of diaper brands out there, uh, P&G and Huggies, kind of the market leaders, and then a number of natural diaper brands such as Honest Company, Bamboo Nature, and we are really trying to play in the space of a natural, eco-friendly diaper sourced from renewable materials of cotton, sugarcane, wood pulp that performs just as well, if not better, than Pampers. So what in your background led you to founding Kudos? Yeah, great question. It's been a long journey. Um, I studied mechanical engineering and manufacturing in undergrad at MIT, started my career at Procter & Gamble in the manufacturing space for Always Pads and Gillette. Uh, during my time at Always, while we were working on developing some of the latest and greatest in sanitary pad technology, I started looking at the Indian market and realized that lack of access to sanitary pads in India was one of the leading reasons for higher dropout rates of school-age girls compared to boys. They didn't have access to sanitary pads, would miss school every month, and then drop out altogether by eighth grade. Uh, so I moved to India and started my first company there, Sathi Pads, and it's one of the leading eco-friendly sanitary pad brands in India, making pads out of waste banana tree fiber. And as uh, and I started that at the age of 22, and over the past few years, a lot of my friends uh, in the U.S. who are starting to have kids were like, hey, we need something similar like this for diapers in the U.S., and it was kind of an aha moment, what we were able to do in India, why can't we do something similar for baby diapers in the U.S.? And hence about at the end of 2018, Kudos was born. So you decided to start Kudos in Boston, but you were in San Francisco for some time. So what mm -hmm. was your thought process there when you moved back towards Boston and decided to build here? Yeah, great question. Uh, I am originally from Boston. I love this city. I think you, a lot of the smartest talent in the world lives here, uh, and I wanted to come back to where I'm from and settle down here. And I think most importantly, I feel very passionate about helping Boston become the next consumer hub. And I think this is a great place to attract great talent, um, build great products, and having all the partnerships with all the local universities um, and engineering talent here, we could not be more happy. So one of the challenges, I think, when you build consumer brands in particular is always trying to figure out, um, you have to tap into new trends, maybe trends that some of the bigger companies aren't seeing yet or aren't taking advantage of. And the risk is always, is this a trend that's like a fad or is this a long-term secular trend that's going to drive economic you know, change for a while? Um, what are the trends you're seeing that, that led you to start Kudos and um, like, like what's driving those and, and, and what gives you confidence that they're sort of long-term and, and going to be around for a while? Absolutely. Um, focusing on sustainable materials and reducing 
the world's dependence on fossil fuels is, I think, something I'm personally very passionate about. Why can't we create things that are just as high performing from natural materials as you get from your standard petrochemical materials? Uh, is this a trend? Absolutely. Like, there's no doubt that this is the, the leading trend right now in terms of products and consumer packaged goods. But is this a fad? No, um, this is not going to go away. Um, if anything, what we're seeing in the world around climate change, like every single person has to do their part in order to get to a world where we are excited for the future generations and for the kudos kiddos that are going to be wearing our diapers to be living in. Um, and and we know that if every diaper was made the kudos way, uh, two billion pounds, which is not a small amount, two billion pounds of diaper materials would now be sourced from cotton, sugarcane, and wood pulp rather than from fossil fuels. Interesting. And and along those same lines, building a direct-to-consumer company is, is also challenging today because um, customer acquisition costs keep rising. You know, the internet came out and it was this new channel for a lot of people and then you know, sort of splintered off into social media and, and influencer marketing and all that kind of stuff. Um, how did that factor into your thinking? Because you mentioned you have to go up, up against like Pampers, right? Which mm -hmm. probably has a gazillion dollar marketing budget. So, so how do you take a new D 2 C brand to market, and how do you think about your customer acquisition costs? Absolutely, uh, this is something I spent a lot of time doing. Um, we haven't yet launched. We'll be launching in the summer of twenty twenty, but. A lot of the stuff that I think about, first and foremost, you have to have a product that works and people love. There, there is no going around that. And we have spent over a year on the material science and the engineering. And we're, we are going to be the first diaper on the market that has a 100% unbleached cotton liner. Um, so your, your babies are now going to be sitting in cotton all day rather than sitting in plastic all day, which is what all traditional diapers are made out of. Something that we that I think a lot about and just the way I buy products and brands that I view, I tend to focus and get excited to buy products from brands that are very mission driven and that there's a team behind it, real people that are that are that are very passionate about what they're doing. And I think the biggest thing for us is building an authentic connection to our users, um, which we spend a lot of time doing, uh, talking to consumers, giving them our product, getting them involved, getting them interested. Um, and so at the end of the day, if you can have an authentic connection with, with your customers and you can build a mission-driven brand, which is something we have a small and mighty team, but that all three of us feel very strongly about, I think that is that is very much the way that I look to, to brands for products I want to build, and that's how I want people to view us. That's exciting. Uh, talk a little bit about, for us, Amrita, um, about your family, and, and most people don't know, but we've backed your brother mm -hmm. uh, and Thunkable, and, and so you've got a, a very entrepreneurial family. Maybe talk about your background and, and growing up as a kid, and, and did you anything differently come out in terms of just having a lot of entrepreneurs within your family? And are there other family members that we could back here at PJC <laughs> <laughs> in, your, in, in your family? Because we've, we've had a lot of success with both of you, and, and we're excited. So talk a little bit about maybe your growing up as a kid. Yeah, um, I, I grew up in, in Burlington, Massachusetts, uh, 20 minutes outside of Boston. And my father is a mechanical engineering professor at Tufts University. Um, and my mom is the executive director of Ekel Vidyalaya, which is the largest education nonprofit in India. Um, they provide K through five education to uh, 
students in 100,000 Indian villages a year. So it's a very, very large uh, organization uh, that has great impact. And I have to say, I think a lot of our, both mine and my brother's uh, entrepreneurial spirit, I would say stems from both of my parents. Um, I think my mom is definitely the person who's like, try anything. Even if you fail, it doesn't matter. Get back up do things. Um, she, she was also a dance teacher on the side. She, My mom does so many things and is involved in so many organizations in Boston that you always saw her like excited about something new and always trying different things. And I think that's that's been amazing. Um, and even t- to this day, my parents are, are both mine and my brother's biggest supporters. And my dad... Um, he, this is probably the one thing that my dad was very adamant upon uh, for both me and my brother is that we had to major in a fundamental engineering in college. Um, my dad was very clear that uh, <laughs> he would only support our, our college. Um, our college. You're going to get an engineering degree or, or we're not going to pay for your college. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. He told us we could major in mechanical civil, electrical and computer science or chemical engineering. Um, you could only major in one of those four things because he believed if you had one of those fundamental degrees, then we would never be financially dependent on him post-graduation. That was, <laughs> that was, uh, and I think honestly having that, being an engineer, I think there's no doubt about it. You have that analytical mindset. You can problem solve. Um, even though I'm not the one doing engineering on a day-to-day basis anymore, the fact that I really understand the ins and outs of the technology, the manufacturing, the production line, it's huge. Um, and and I, I'm so happy that that my dad pushed me, um, pushed me and my brother in that direction and always believed us that gave us a confidence that we could do whatever we wanted and and just try it. And if it didn't work, you would go try something else. Um and there was no one who was more excited or supportive uh, between my brother, who runs a company called Thunkable, um, and my parents, who didn't give us the confidence that we could try and do this. <laughs> that, that's a great story. Uh, so this is the Uncovered podcast. Yeah. And so can you tell us a story to our audience in terms of something with you and your brother that's kind of a funny story or a competitive story or something you did growing up that you kind of competed with each other that people don't know or something that's interesting in terms of your background you think about with your brother? Yeah, totally. Um, I actually have to say we we were never competitive with each other. My, my brother, Rune, is three years younger than me. Um, we both... We both went to MIT when I was a senior. He was a freshman. Um, and he's honestly always been my absolute best friend. And even before joining, before starting Kudos, I actually worked for my little brother, um, which he likes to always uh, <laughs> rub in everyone's face, that uh, <laughs> um, he, I, I was, worked at a number of companies, but I was working at Google X um, from 2014, 2016. And, and Arun, um, he was starting Thunkable, which is a drag and drop tool to build native Android and iOS apps. And he was looking for their first employee. Um, and it was just kind of right time and right place. We ended up living together for five years in San Francisco. And I worked for him for three of those years. So to say that we were inseparable is, is quite the understatement. Um, yeah, we would we would work together at work all day. We would hang out at home and on the weekends. Um, and honestly, probably some like the best five years uh, of my some of the best. My life's great now too. Um, but I really look back on those uh, those memories uh, very fondly. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between P and G and working at Google X? Oh, for sure. Um, 
I think they're both very, very, very different experiences. Um, at PNG, I worked on Always Pads and Gillette, which are definitely both more established brands. Um, I, I think we at Gillette, I was working on the. Uh, I guess now it's been in the market for a few years, but the Fusion Pro Glide Flexball um, <laughs> razor that had a it, cool, very cool, very cool product and a very good and uh, challenging engineering pr uh, project. Worked with the smartest people. I think at, at a company like P&G, um, I, I was given a lot of autonomy, um, even as a 22-year-old engineer, to really design and 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 kind of take my engineering ideas to market. And it was a very structured environment with great mentorship. Um, uh, and and it was awesome. I, I launched a lot of cool stuff. Um, I think the difference with something like PNG and then Google X, where I was uh, I was working on the manufacturing of Google Glass, is the speed. It, it's I think the speed was the, the, the biggest difference in terms of at Gillette and Procter & Gamble, obviously, like, things... We, everything had to be perfect before we launched it, which makes sense. It's a it's a phenomenal company that's built great brands, and there was definitely um, and I think it was also my age. Like I was twenty two, I was at P and G, so I was in charge of one very small thing, but I was given full autonomy and kind of saw that through um, all the way. Um, at Google X, it was kind of more you were thrown into this. I don't even know what you were thrown into. You were kind of like this small fish in this big ocean trying to bring new technologies to the world that weren't even that weren't even accepted by consumers yet. Um, at Google Glass, like, it, being perfectly honest, like, we failed with Google Glass at, as a consumer brand in 2014. It's, it's, it's pivoted into the enterprise space and done well since. So there was definitely a lot of um, highs and lows um, in terms of the highs were very high at Google. Google X where when you're developing a product from scratch and building the manufacturing and being the first team to do that, I mean, that's that was super exciting. But then when you build this product and then consumers are not very excited about it, that was definitely a low. Um, and and I think that's what happens in all startups. It happens in places like Google X where new technologies are constantly being evaluated and trying to bring to market. But I, I, think, I think the biggest thing is like, fail fast, fail early so you can make changes and continue going. This is your second company that you founded. And so, you know, what are some things you can share in terms of, you know, how it's been different? So you've, this is your second go at it. What's been easier for you? Or, you know, how do you think it's it's helped you kind of being a second time founder? Oh, uh, so many things. I think there's, this time around, I think in terms of, uh, no matter what, fundraising is difficult. There is no founder that will say fundraising <laughs> fundraising is easy. Um, but I think the first time around, um, I, I don't even think I understood what starting a company was. Um, I had I had graduated from IT. I had worked at PNG for a little bit, um, but I didn't I didn't even understand things like do you set up a like what is a C corp in Delaware? Like none of that stuff even made sense to me. Um, how do you raise money? How do you think about evaluation for a company? Um, where do you have the connections? Uh, for people that can introduce you to potential investors. Um, how do you think about hiring? How do you put in processes into place? How do you do performance evaluations? How do you, how do you manage people under in your team that are like, for, here's a good example. Like I have no background in marketing. How do you, how do you hire and, um, and manage and give the right support to to a head of marketing when your background's in mechanical engineering and manufacturing. Um, 
and and really realizing that like you are putting your effort to hire the absolute best people and once you've hired them, you need to let them soar and and do what they do best. So I think learning how you can how you can help them, um, even though you might not be able to say this is right, this is wrong, because you just don't have that skill set. And being honest about what you know and what you don't know, so the team knows where they can le- lean on you and where you might not be the right person, and being okay with the fact that you don't know everything, um, is 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 been some of the biggest things that, that I've, I've learned. <laughs> and so you mentioned that fundraising is always hard. How did you approach the round and how long did it take you to raise your, your seed round? There's a lot of talk about the fact that there's, you know, a large amount of capital in the market now. And so you go to market as a second time founder with a really interesting concept, a really big market, uh, kind of a pedigree of success in a lot of different ways. And so how did it, you know, how did you approach it? How long did it take and how did that process play out for you? Absolutely. Even as a second time founder, it wasn't easy. <laughs> um, uh, I would say I was pretty much fundraising full time for three to four months. Um, I probably still had 50 plus no's. Um, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter even if you have success, if you if, if you have a good pedigree, none of that. At the end of the day, you are going to get tons and tons and tons of no's. Um, I think something that was was easier this time was the rejections. Um, it, you, I think you learn to not take them personally. Uh, the second time around, the first time, you're like, I poured my life and soul into this, and someone just sends me an email saying, no, I'm going to pass. They, you honestly want to like just sit there and cry. <laughs> um, and I think this time um, around, even though it was still three to four months full time, I think I just had a stronger network um, and was able to uh, leverage all the connections from my friends, um, from my brother, um, and and that was huge. Um, and I just had more experience, so and I can't stress enough the importance of talking about your idea with anyone and everyone because you don't know who is going to be helpful, who can um, who can connect you with someone. I, I mean, here's like the perfect example. Um, I really like going to a fitness class called Orange Theory Fitness, and I was very good friends. I am very good friends with my Orange Theory Fitness coach. And uh, when I was telling her she was pregnant and she was she was like, I love this idea, um, she was like, hey, let me introduce you to this person. Um, and then that person invested me, it, it introduced me to another investor who's now one of our investors. So um, uh, you never know where, where your connections are going to come from. And talking to everyone about your idea um, – anyone about your idea and not being shy about it. Um, that's like, honestly, my biggest advice that, that I can, that I can give. Yeah, it's interesting. I, uh, so I, I would echo that with, with one change, which was, um, I actually did have a rejection one time when I was raising funding that was very personal. I, I won't name the firm, mm-hmm. but the guy actually said, um, Rob, not only do I not like your idea, I don't like your personality. And he walked out of the room. So, <laughs> so that, that's, that's that, a story we'll uncover on a <laughs> Not only did he say your baby looks ugly, but he also yeah. said you look ugly too. <laughs> okay, I, I, I guess I must say I'm fortunate I have it. They yeah. painted my idea, but not. Um... Yeah, I, I want to talk about one of the things that you talked about was how difficult it is to to sort of hire and manage people who you kind of don't know what their job is, right? Mm-hmm. And I went through this too. In my first company, you know, I, I was an engineer by training and my head of product and head of engineering and my CTO all sort of stayed. I got it right the first time. They stayed through the through exit. Um, I went through three heads of sales and part of it was because I was sort of like, what is, 
what does a VP of sales do? I didn't know, right? Never had the job or, or been close to it. Um, how do you figure that out? You know, what's your advice to somebody who says, I've never hired a CFO, I've never hired a head of sales or head of marketing. Um, how do you learn what to look for? Oh, okay. Uh, here's something I did. I think I did better the, the second time around. Um, when you're hiring for people and functions that you don't have experience in, you hire a senior person who who knows their stuff, who comes with great recommendations. That's honestly my biggest advice. I think in the past, it's like obviously hiring someone's senior experience is very expensive. And as a startup founder, you're always like, oh my God, should I hire someone junior so that I can... I can save some money um, and definitely something a lot of people talk about. But I think the biggest thing that I can recommend, especially in an area that you don't know, is hiring someone senior. And what do you look for? I, I think the biggest thing is like learning from their, having them share their experiences, things they've worked on, what worked, what didn't work. And having like your investors or your other friends leaning on your network to interview them. Um, do I know, did I know the exact right marketing questions to ask? No, but I knew that I didn't. So I actually had David um, <laughs> right. uh, do an interview for me. I had one of my really good friends from from business school give me reference and tell me who, someone who I really trust talk about uh, their worth ethic and, and their experience. And so that's the biggest thing I can say is don't expect that you know how to do it. And it's okay to tell a potential hire, hey, like I'm going to have my friend interview you or I'm going to have my investor interview you. Um, and don't be shy about that. Yeah, I, th I think that's a great point. I think that's one of the things that VCs and, and investors bring to the table. You know, I think, Rob, you made a point about, you know, you didn't know how to interview sales guys. And I always tell people that we back, look, I've interviewed 100 CFOs. We've hired probably 20 or 25 over my career. It's not that I know a lot more about a CFO role. I've just interviewed a lot more people. And it's just sort of pattern recognition. So you recognize the right salesperson or the right marketing person because you've interviewed so many people along the way. And that's a big part of what we do in trying to add value to some of our portfolio companies. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. Um, so, one thing that I want to touch on a little bit is you have a physical product that you have to get manufactured, and we are at this weird point in history with this company, with this country, where like we're trying to bring back manufacturing jobs, but it's very expensive for most things. And like, how you know has has the how have you thought about that? And has you know do your do your customers care where this is manufactured? And then how do you think about the political climate here with respect to manufacturing versus the cost structure of doing it somewhere else? Like, how as a CEO do you bring all these things together, many of which are out of your control, and decide what to do? Yeah, and and I'm facing this, I'm facing this challenge right now. So we are, I mean, there are more than 15 components in a diaper, and we are sourcing almost all of them from the United States. Uh, there's a few that we can't, that we just physically can't get here because they're not made here. Um, so as much of it as I can do in in the U.S., we are doing like all of our cotton, which is a huge differentiating point on our diapers. It's having this 100% clean, breathable cotton coming from Mississippi, um, from local farmers. Uh, we are doing as much of it as we can. Uh, when it comes to final assembly of our product, I, I, I wanted to personally really keep it in the U.S., but unfortunately... 
the processing and what we need, it it wasn't available right now um, in the U.S. So for us, it honestly wasn't a cost decision. I didn't have a choice. There wasn't a, a manufacturer that I could work with that could do what we wanted. And we tried really, really hard. And I'm hopeful that someday we will be able to really have everything sourced in the U.S., uh, everything made in the U.S. And consumers are willing to pay for things that are made here. Like people understand that it's more expensive to manufacture here than manufacture overseas. Um, and even myself as a consumer, I'm willing to pay that because I understand wages are different. So I'm not necessarily worried about that. And and, and there are consumers that, that cost is an issue and and I understand that. And so, but for those customers that can afford it, um, I think in today's day and age, people are willing to pay for that, and I'm and I'm personally hoping we can do more and more in the U.S. over the coming years. So, last question for you. You know, we call this the Uncovered Podcast, and we like to ask our guests if there's some piece of wisdom or advice that you would like to we could uncover for our listeners. You know, people that are thinking about starting a company, um, trying to figure out the path. Is, it, is there some advice you would give them, or something you would say like, hey, you know, people never tell you this, but they should, or here's the thing you should really, really think about. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, or something I've been very surprised by is how willing other founders are to help you. That, that's been like a huge learning experience. I think initially in the beginning, I was scared to email someone um, because I was like, oh my God, they've already done all these things. They're 10 steps ahead of me. They're not going to want to help me. They'll, they'll look at me and say, oh, like, she, she doesn't know what she's doing or she, she's too early on. That's probably been the most surprising thing to me is reach out to founders in your field. And, and even a great way to start doing that, depending what city you're in, is going to local meetups for consumer startups or hardware startups or healthcare, whatever there is. Um, and just straight up asking people, how did you do this? Where did you find that? Um, do you have suggestions for someone that I can hire? And people's willingness and and that that's something I've been blown away by um and i can't say enough what i've like the biggest thing that's been helpful to me is learning from other founders and it's not people that i knew before starting this company necessarily because i don't want people to say well i don't know these people totally okay whether you you meet them at a conference you um you reach out to them cold email on linkedin i've had a lot of success cold emailing people on linkedin which seems scary at first and yes half the people won't respond but the few that do i've actually like become actual friends with them. Um, that's honestly the biggest thing I can say is lean on founders. Um, you need you need a legal document. Yes, law, lawyers are, you will spend as a startup founder a lot of dollars on, on legal fees. But if you can ask another founder, hey, do you have this form or do you have this kind of document? They're more than willing to share it with you. And I'm willing to do the same. If there's a young founder, someone 22 and out of college, um, like I was there 10 years ago and I want to help them succeed. And and so reach out and people will be happy to help. Well, Amritha, thanks you for, thank you for being on the podcast today. Uh, for those of you listening, thanks. I hope you'll uh, go and listen to uh, the other podcast in this first season. And if you have guests you'd like us to have on the, on the program or questions you'd like us to ask or topics you'd like us to discuss, you can send those to podcast at pjc.vc. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Uncovered Podcast. To learn more about PJC and the Uncovered Podcast, visit us at www.pjc.vc or email us at podcast at pjc.vc.